All right, welcome to episode nine of The Divine Line, featuring yours truly, Tyler Divine of HawkFanatic.com. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Joe Gaffey at Rule and Rule Realtors. Keeping clients safe is a top priority for Joe. Whether you're buying or selling, he has a variety of digital resources available to assist you, including virtual tours. Joe can be reached by phone at 319-325-7727 or joegaffey at rulehomes.com. That's R-U-H-L-Homes.com. Uh, you can also visit joegaffey.rulehomes.com. Uh, as always, big thanks to Joe for being the first sponsor of the Divine Line podcast. Um, my guest today is Iowa Football Director of Recruiting, Tyler Barnes. Uh, it was a really, really interesting conversation about recruiting during uh, the era of COVID. Uh, I also asked him you know, what he would be doing if he weren't involved with football. Um, talked about you know, some of the you know difficulties in recruiting with, with the racial allegations that came out uh over the summer so it was, it was really informative uh he's really good uh but before we get that get to that excuse me i uh what the hell is going on with my beloved atlanta falcons what is happening there the super bowl broke that franchise i mean if anybody was watching the nfl this sunday or was on twitter at all you definitely saw the video of that horrible horrible onside kick uh I, it was so bad, I'm not even sure that I was that angry about it. I just, I can't believe that Dan Quinn still has a job after these past two seasons. I mean, they play the Bears on Sunday, I guess. Who Bears are 2-0, and so we'll see what happens there. I mean, I just, they're wasting the prime years of Julio Jones and Matt, and Matt Ryan. And I don't care what anybody says, Matt Ryan is a borderline top five quarterback in the NFL. And they have a ton of talent there. But for a guy that prides himself on playing good defense, they don't really play good defense. Um, and it wasn't great when they went to the Super Bowl, but they also had a record-setting offense that season. I, my God, man, I can't believe it. It's just, it's bonkers to me. I mean, this insane stat, 441 times in NFL history since like the 30s, a team has scored 39 points with no turnovers. The Falcons are the only team to lose a game having in NFL history having scored 39 points with no turnovers that is a bonkers stat it's just it's maddening as a as a fan it's you know uh it's just it's not not nearly as bad as Super Bowl 51 I mean that was one of the worst sports probably the worst export sports experience of my life but it's just I Changes are going to have to be made there, and I'm I'm kind of afraid that some of my you know their key pieces are going to have to go, unfortunately. So enough about that. Let's uh, let's get into Tyler Barnes. All right, here with uh, Iowa football director of recruiting Tyler Barnes, and uh, also a man with a fantastic first name. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. Absolutely appreciate having me on. Um, obviously, you know, we live in the COVID era now. Um, what's the biggest difficulty in recruiting during this time? And like, how, have, how have you guys had to like switch up your, your strategy? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of this and there's a lot of zoom now. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we're going on almost seven months of, of not having kids on campus, which you know, is, is very rare. Usually it's, it's maybe a month at a time with dead periods kind of spread out throughout the year, but um, it, it's been tough. I mean, it's, you know, it's never easy, but it, you know, with that's come some positives as well. 
um, some things we'll learn and, you know, take with us moving forward in terms of the process and just talking with kids and trying to showcase our campus, you know, from a distance, um, you know, but the biggest thing, I think, one for us, we were pretty lucky. We had a, a good amount of kids on campus between last fall and kind of the winter time and, you know, a couple junior days in the spring. Um, and we got a good start to our current class, which was big, and it kind of helped just, uh, you know, get the ball rolling from there. Um, and when we, you know, when we left campus in, in the middle of March, I don't think any of us thought we were going to be, you know, delayed as, as long as we were. I didn't think any of us saw a dead period being extended all the way through December 31st. Um, you know, so with that, as is, is the pandemic came, you know, a little more serious, we kind of got together as a staff and, and put together some different campaigns and just different plans on how we could, you know, keep developing relationships with kids and, and stay in contact with them and showcase what we need to showcase between our facilities, the community, the university, uh, some of the support staff that we rely on um, outside of our football building to be able to still give these these guys and their families a clearer picture of kind of who we are and what we're about. Um, you know, but again, a big, big part of our class, we were lucky they had been here. They had gone through a lot of that stuff already. Um, so it was more just kind of, you know, hitting those points a little bit and, and working to develop those relationships with our staff and, and our players and, and, you know, commits working on each other too. Uh, and I'm a big believer that once you get high school kids, if you, you get them committed to you and, and they're bought in, you know, for the right reasons, you can, you know, they can be a tremendous asset in the recruiting process and can really help you recruit the other guys you're going after and your remaining targets. So it's been a little bit of everything. Uh, it's been pieced together a little bit, but, you know, I think our staff has done a really good job kind of navigating those waters and pushing forward with everything. Um, it seems like Iowa always has more guys committed early in a class than other schools. Is that, can you attribute that to anything? Um, you know, it's interesting. It's, uh, we talk about that a lot and it's been something that has been brought up, especially the last couple of years. Um, cause we've gotten off to a pretty early start in the last two years. And we talk about all the time, you know, that the history is well documented here that we, we've found some gems late in the class too. Um, uh, some guys that have been really good football players here. Um, but you know, my, as a recruiting guy, kind of my argument is, you know, some of these guys that are, are early commits to us, you know, we've had on campus now the way recruiting has shifted and just the ability to have kids get on campus earlier and earlier uh, before the pandemic, um, it's kind of shifted the game, you know, so you know, we've got 17 guys committed to us in this 21 class. And, you know, I think before the pandemic hit, you know, we probably had close to 75, 80 visits combined already on campus, um, you know, in March with, with that class. So we've had so much exposure to these guys and, and, you know, we know as much as, you know, we possibly can at that point about them where you feel comfortable, you know, taking their commitments and kind of working from there. And I think just the overall, just the, the process of recruiting being sped up so much in earlier offers and, and now more than ever, kids are just willing to get on campus. Um, you know, we're a morning practice team. So when we go through spring ball a couple of years ago, you know, we talked about, you know, we're going to start working to get guys here as much as possible. And, you know, we're, we're on the field by 6.30 a.m. And it's amazing how many kids and parents will show up at 6.15 ready to roll for their visit without a doubt. Um, it kind of shocked us a little bit, but I think parents and kids are just more and more willing to kind of get out and see the places they need to see. And, and that's kind of led to just, you know, getting to know kids a little bit better and, and knowing more about them and, and ultimately, you know, securing their commitment. Kind of with that, do you, since, you know, there are guys that are committing to schools without ever even having stepped on campus. Yeah. Uh, do you see that being a problem down the road with, do you see, you know, two, three years from now, maybe a lot of, a lot more trans, I mean, there's already a ton of transfers, but more transfers. Cause they're like, well, I was there for two years and I didn't really know what I was getting into. Yeah. It's uh it's tricky. Um, I think when the, the pandemic started, you know, I talked to a bunch of guys around the big 10 in similar positions that I'm in and, 
and that was the biggest thing is, you know, as we saw that this was getting a little bit more serious and this dead period was going to be extended for a while, it's just, hey, how's your staff handling? Are you going to take commitments from guys that haven't been on campus? And that's something we talked about um, as a staff for a while too. And what it mainly came down to is, you know, if we do that, we need to make sure that we know everything we can possibly know about this kid and his family to put us in a position where we're comfortable taking that commitment. And then vice versa as well, making sure that kid and their family are also okay and comfortable enough to, you know, to tell us they want to come here. Um, you know, three of our 17 guys have uh, never been on campus face-to-face with our staff. A couple of them were fortunate enough to get on campus on their own and, and kind of do their own self-guided tours. But, um, you know, we, we didn't want to make a habit of that. We didn't want to take, you know, 50, 60% of this class on guys that hadn't been here. Um, that's just us being a little bit more, you know, cautious with it. I know some schools have, but in a situation like this, it's just tough. You know, it's, you know, you're going to have to take some flyers. Um, we're lucky that we had a pretty good regional base between the state of Iowa and surrounding states that, that had a, a good amount of talent and guys that were in on early. So I think that really helped us this year. And I've said it before, you know, when the pandemic started, we were, we were really fortunate to kind of be off to the start we were <clears throat> and have a good majority of our class already built at that point. Um, I can't imagine being a school in the middle of March that had two or three commitments. Uh, that, that would have been tricky and, and frankly, kind of scary uh, trying to finish out your class that way, knowing that we may not see these guys before they sign with us, which is, which is uh, unprecedented. Um, it seems so the last two cycles now, uh, June of 2019 and this past April and the beginning of May, it's like, you know, last year is like Deuce Hogan, only guy in the class. And then all of a sudden the class is at like 12 guys. I mean, what, is there something that happens it, it, uh, that kind of span of time that kind of pushes that forward? Yeah, that, that uh, you know, I think spring uh, of guys' junior years kind of leading into their senior years, especially with these earlier visits and now, you know, going back a couple years earlier, official visits, I think that clock has just kind of sped up a little bit. Um, again, even from when I got back here four years ago to just two years after that, just the number of kids we had on campus in the spring, it doubled. Um, and it was kind of surprising just how many people wanted to get on campus and kind of collect all their information and gather the information to be able to make a decision. Uh, and then for us, you know, it's, it's also been well documented the last couple of summers, uh, not this past summer, obviously with the pandemic, but two, two Junes ago and then three Junes ago, you know, we, we were able to host bigger official visit weekends in the summer that have been really successful for us. Um, and that's a chance where, you know, we, we may have half our class committed and then you've got a good group of targets that you really want to get on campus. And when you can get them on campus around, obviously our staff, our players, but then other commits and other families too. Uh, that's a huge recruiting tool. Um, and at that point, you know, we're just trying to plan it out and kind of let things flow and really let our committed guys kind of take over from there and help us seal the deal. So not having that this June was, is obviously it's, it's unfortunate. Um, it's tough to not get those guys on campus and around each other. Uh, but I think guys from a distance have, have done a good job kind of developing their relationships within the class and getting to know everybody. And I know guys have been able to meet up on, you know, on their own on the outside as well. So it's uh yeah the, the summer the summer is be it's become a really uh really popular month that May June and July period for guys to commit before their senior year. I think a lot of guys really want to get it done too, so they can just focus on their senior year of football and not have to worry about you know the constant phone calls, text messages, everything coming in from coaches and doing your official visits during the season. That can be extremely hard for kids if you play on a Friday night and depending on where you're going to school, what time they're playing, it can be stressful. That's one thing that I hear a lot. Yeah, is that you know, these guys are like, I don't want to have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. I just want to enjoy my senior season. Um, Absolutely. 
Is there, obviously you can't comment on the 21 class since they're not signed. Is there a guy that's currently on the roster that, what, is there a guy or two on the current roster that was really difficult, that really kind of put you through the ringer for, uh, the, to get them, you know, to commit and sign eventually? <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd say difficult. You know, every, every recruiting store is a little bit different. And, um, you know, I always say when we have uneventful signing days, that's, that's what we like. You know, it's, that, that means we've got our class secured and we don't have anybody to worry about. Um, you know, probably Amir uh, Smith-Marset, you know, his really came down to the wire, um, you know, between Rutgers, Minnesota, and us. And, um, and we felt good about it. It was obviously well worth it. You know, I'm glad we stuck through <laughs> until the end because he's a heck of a player and he's even even better kid to be around. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's there's stories about, about kids and just how you go about things and, they're all unique in their own way, but, you know, we try our best if, you know, most of our guys are in the boat and we don't have to worry about them on signing day. But uh, Amir's probably the one guy that really took us down to the wire and had us worrying a little bit and had to work into the night before signing day, but glad, glad it worked out. Yeah, it was a pretty uh, interesting uh, story to cover from, from the outside looking <laughs> in. So I can't, I, can't, I can't imagine being uh, in a position where you're actually trying to get him on campus and on your football team. I mean – that's, I'm just glad we're not playing against him. I'm glad he's wearing <laughs> black and gold. That's for sure. Um, this, obviously, you've noticed this. It seems like there is such a uh, an increase in in-state talent recently in Iowa. Is, I mean, is it kind of just a, a trend? Maybe that like two years from now it'll be kind of lesser. I mean, what what do you you know? How do you guys keep that in-state talent? Yeah, it's uh, you know, I think this this current class is you know, a phenomenon for the state of Iowa. We've, I don't think we've ever seen this many guys with BCF, BCS offers, you know, D1 offers. It's, but it's fun to see. It's good for the kids. It's good that they're getting the recognition they deserve. I mean, we've got good football in the state of Iowa. We've got a ton of kids that are extremely talented, multi-sport athletes. Um, it's good and it's bad, you know, because again, you know, we can't take everybody obviously. And, and there's, you know, there's a certain number of guys we can take in each class. And, and we, you know, we're very, um, you know, we're very pinpointed on who we're trying to take in the state. Um, we never want to offer a kid and then for some reason fill up and not have a spot for him or, or do anything to offend coaches. Um, Coach Ferentz is very cognizant of that, and he's always been in his 21 years here. You know, the, the coaches in the state of Iowa are huge allies for us, and we want to make sure they, they're treated the way they should be and, and as well as their kids. Um, but then from the front there, you know, if we, we take whatever it is, six, seven, eight scholarship guys in the year from this state, you know, you've got the other guys that we've got a pretty good walk-on tradition here too. And uh, I think that's where it's starting to hurt a little bit is a lot of these schools are coming in and taking some of those guys that we've battled in the past for um, that have come here and been good walk-ons end up playing, getting on scholarship and, and carving out pretty good roles. So um, it, it's, I think it's all part of the cycle, you know, it's class by class. I think, you know, you can even go, I think my second year back in the state of Illinois was kind of a down year for them, um, which you don't see a whole lot. But then like the next two years, you know, it was back up to where they were with 30, 40 kids that were going to, you know, D1 schools. So you know, it just kind of depends. It's all cyclical. But, you know, in terms of how we recruit the state of Iowa, I mean, that's that's our home base. That's the first place we want to make sure we know about every single kid in state. We want to make sure that, you know, we lock up our borders as best as we can. And it's always going to be priority number one for us. Um, Obviously, been a difficult summer for the program how do you as as a as you know a guy that is a director of recruiting is trying to get future players how do you put a positive spin on, on everything that's gone gone on in the last few months sure yeah it's uh you know the, the summer recruit it's a 
for you know our staff to, to have hard and difficult and honest conversations with our players about going on you know closer to, to our program and um, you know it was it was tough but it, it was you know at the end of the day it worked out well it's our job as staff to, to listen to our guys and and hear them and have empathy and and then from there take action and move forward and show that changes are being made and, and translating to recruiting you know we, we were up front with all the recruits and their families too the entire way through the process um, and that's, I think that's the only way you can be, you know, because, I mean, they, they're going to have their concerns, too, when they're, you know, looking at social media and, and reading the news. So, and uh, I think it speaks to our staff doing a good job of, of, you know, listening to our guys and taking action, but then also relaying those same messages to the recruits and the families and then, you know, on to the families and the recruits, too, of trusting us and, and hearing what we had to say and, and talking to our players, too, and seeing the change has taken place and, and that we're trying to move forward and push this thing forward. It's, yeah, it seems like uh, the recruits that I've talked to, it, they all seem like they – nobody said anything bad, basically. I mean, it seems like they all understand that there is, is change – changes being, there are changes being made and, you know, yep. moving in the right direction. So, I mean – but, you know, for you – I mean, for you personally, you know, you're by marriage part of the Ferentz family. I mean, personally, how difficult was that? Yeah, it's, it's always tough. You never want to, you never want to see anybody go through something like that, you know, especially the place you work for or family members. Um, but, you know, again, it was, it was good to have those conversations with our players and, and listen to what they had to say. And it was good for other parts of the team too, to hear their, their teammates talk about that stuff and really open up everybody's eyes. And now it's just the conversation, not that it wasn't, um, you know, pointed and, and open and honest before, but it's it's never been as as open and honest as it is now, and that's good. I mean, that's only something that you hope is going to strengthen a team and and develop relationships and make those relationships even stronger, and hopefully unite that locker room even a little bit more. Um, it's good to be able to finally, for the second time now, be back on the practice field and, and get these guys going to kind of see where it's all going to take us here. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a challenge, but it was an opportunity that you know. We, uh, we hope keeps moving forward and we're going to keep pushing forward as a program and listening to our guys and, and trying to, you know, do everything we can to, to be a better program. We in the media only see one side of Kirk Ferentz. Uh, does he, like, does he ever let loose? Like, does he dance? <laughs> yeah, or like, I mean, you know, what's it, does he, does he let loose ever? You know, he's, what you see in the media is kind of who he is, you know, it's, um, <laughs> Yeah, I see him, you know, it's see him from a different side, obviously. I always joke he's a pretty boring guy, but no, he's, <laughs> he's, he's one of the best people I know. You know, I'm lucky enough that I get to see him around, you know, our children and his grandchildren and get to see him as a family man and just what he is on the sidelines, what he is in this program. He's the same guy at home. Um, and it's awesome to see. I couldn't be, you know, more lucky to have him and Mary as, as my in-laws and, and my kids' grandparents. So, great guy. He's He's one of the most humble, selfless people I've ever met in my life. And he's even keeled all through life, which is awesome. You know, I mean, he's got a perspective on things that I wish I, you know, can have throughout my life. But uh, no, it's what you see is kind of what you get with Coach. How intimidating was he when, he, when you first started dating your wife? <laughs> my mother-in-law is probably more intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he's, I mean, he, you guys know Coach Ferentz. He's the easiest guy to talk to. He's very approachable. Um, you know, and just like, <laughs> I would imagine just like when we're coaching our football players here looking for recruits, you know, he, he's going to look out for the best interests of his children. And I don't know if I checked all the characteristic boxes on our, our recruiting, you know, checklist <laughs> here, but I think I must have done something right.
if you, I saw that you have a degree in finance. If you weren't involved with football, what, yep. what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, that's a great question. Actually, you know, when I came to school here, uh, I was here as an athletic training major. I always knew I wanted to work in sports somehow, some way. Um, athletic training wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Um, so I made that transition into finance. I'm a big stock market guy. I've always loved numbers. I'm a big math guy. So I kind of saw it as a route at the time. They didn't have our sports management major. Uh, now that Dan Matheson has taken over that program and done an incredible job with it at the time, we didn't have that as an undergrad. So you know, I figured, Hey, I can get a finance degree and a sports studies degree and kind of marry the two. Uh, but if it didn't work out in sports, uh, specifically football, I always said, yeah, I'd go work at a bank, maybe get in wealth management of some sort. Um, I'm not meant for a normal office job, though, so I'm fortunate that it's worked out. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's unique. You know, I did a million different jobs around the university just trying to get my foot in the door here at football but before, you know, being able to volunteer here. And I was working at the rec fields, um, intramural stuff, anything, the hawk shop back in the day. Uh, you know, when Iowa in 2004, when they beat Wisconsin at Kinnick Stadium, I was I was there. The South End Zone parking lot. I was there too. I was I was you know throwing gear at people from the Hawk Shop, um, and really it was just anything I could do to inch my way closer to to making my way in the door within athletics. And and you know when I had the opportunity, you know Scott South made was fortunate enough to give me the opportunity. You know I know we're not supposed to work more than whatever 20 hours a week. You know I would hang around until they kicked me out, just trying to prove my worth. And hey, I'll do anything you need. You know, I'm a, I'm a team player, whatever I can do to show you guys I want to be here. And, and luckily it worked out and I'm, I'm extremely fortunate that they gave me the opportunity to do that. Being a numbers guy, do you use analytics or numbers in, in recruiting? <clears throat> we do. Uh, maybe not to the extent that some uh, places do, but, you know, we're big on track numbers. Um, I mean, you look at a lot of our guys, specifically some of our, our linemen in the past, shot disc, um, you know, I think sometimes some of those speed numbers can be a little discombobulated. Uh, for us, I mean, we want football players, right? You got to be able to play football. So we don't want a track athlete that just happens to play football. Uh, we want a football player that's good at track. So uh, th there's a newer uh, recruiting you know, service that we use called Tracking Football that has a has an unbelievable database of just tracking field numbers around the country on guys. And it's good to, you know, when you see guys, we were just watching a guy this morning and kind of critiquing just how explosive he was. And then you look up his shot putting disc numbers and it, it correlates, you know, so um, it's good to kind of have that to back up. Uh, we're never going to rely on those numbers heavily, but to kind of have it as part of uh, part of our evaluation process is always nice. But yeah, it's and then we kind of do some of our own analytics in terms of you know where guys are coming from and how they pan out in the program and should we be recruiting different areas? Should we have different target places we should be going after? So on and so forth. But we don't dig real deep into that. Yeah, I've always thought that the forty-yard dash was kind of a BS statistic I guess I mean do you guys put any stock into that it's so inaccurate it, it seems it's, yeah I mean it's nice um but you have kids that may not run you know fast 40s or 55s or whatever it may be but on film they play fast you know and that's ultimately what it comes down to can you play fast um me personally I'm a big jumping guy I love when skill guys are explosive um when you see high jump numbers long jump triple jump um, you know, that, that to us makes a difference. And then, you know, depending on position too, like we, we talk all the time at the tight end position, just going through the history of our tight ends here, you know, almost every guy that's been a really, really good tight end in Iowa has been a really good basketball player in high school. You know, is that coincidence? Uh, it may be. Um, but for us, it's kind of part of our evaluation. You know, if, if you don't play basketball as a six foot four or five, 215 pound kid in high school, they tell us why. 
You know, why aren't you out there on the hardwood <laughs> dominating same way you do on Friday nights in football? So there's different things we look at and different things we take into account, obviously, when we're going through the process and identifying guys. But, um, yeah, the numbers, I know a lot of people that are really big into the numbers, and sometimes uh, they can overtake your evaluation and maybe make you miss on a guy that you should have taken because his time is slow, or you take a guy who's really fast that just wasn't a football player. Um, so you got to be careful with that, in my opinion. Um, just uh, one final question, I think, here is, yeah. uh, you know, Kirk has certainly changed his tune with regard to how he runs the program the last few years. Uh, is it, would you say, maybe easier now to bring new ideas to him as far as, you know, recruiting techniques and that stuff than it would have been maybe 10 years ago? Um, you know, I can't speak all the way back to then, but, um, you know, I think, you know, when I was here the first time, obviously coach is always listening and we're always evaluating any way we can get better as a program, whether it's in the weight room, on the football field schemes, recruiting, whatever it may be. Um, we, we talk about that yearly and that's just how you evolve and you have to as a football program. Um, you know, I, I'm going to give a big piece of credit to Seth Wallace, you know, before I came back when, when Seth kind of took over the recruiting department here. Um, you know, Seth brought in a bunch of fresh ideas and kind of pushed the envelope a little bit in areas that we never had um, and really got the ball rolling there. Um, and, and it was good to see, and it was really fun to see. You know, when I was at Vanderbilt, I'd still, you know, talk with Seth, you know, a couple times a year, maybe three times a year, just kind of check in and see how things were going. But and that was the best part. He got the ball rolling. I was in a different conference, um, you know, probably one of the most cutthroat conferences in the country when it comes to recruiting and just had experience seeing firsthand how some of that stuff worked out too. And, and I was able to work with a couple of coaches there that, that have done an unbelievable job. So coming back, it was nice. He got the ball rolling and we, you know, coming back, we just kind of, keep trying to push forward a little bit while still maintaining our identity and, and still maintaining our evaluation process. Cause you know, we're never going to be a school that throws out 300 offers. Um, it's hard to recruit 300 kids in a class personally, um, the way you should recruit them in our opinion. So, but yeah, it's, it's been good and a big credit to Seth. And then obviously Kelvin, you know, maintaining that too, just pushing things forward and just, and just kind of evolving a little bit in our recruiting process and how we go about things. And now we really try to recruit and close on kids. Is the, you know, there's schools like the, you know, Iowa State and, and other, you know, other schools that just throw out offers left and right, you know, 400 a cycle, 400, 500 a cycle. Is that more like just getting the name out there, really? I mean, it just seems kind of empty at a certain point. It, it might be, you know, it might be. And, and I always said, there's a million ways to skin a cat, right? It's, it's worked for them. It's, it works for other schools. Um, you know, in my last stop, we did that a little bit too. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it worked at times, but it's, it's nice to know. And it's a little bit different too. You know, we're fortunate that we've got a head coach that's been here 21 years ago on 22. That's we've kind of got our identity built up. You know, we know the types of kids we're looking for, you know, we, we know it's been successful here. Um, we're not really trying to reinvent the wheel. And, and with that too, I mean, just having the relationships in the state, knowing those high school coaches and then some of our coaches, you know, they've been in their recruiting areas for a long time now, so we can really rely heavily on, on their coaching, their high school coaching contacts within their areas. And at this point now they know, hey, I got a kid for you. He'd be perfect for you guys. And, and you were, we're a little bit more old school when it, when it comes to recruiting that way. But it's something that's, you know, it's as much as everything's being sped up, you know, high school coaches throughout the country are probably being taken out of the recruiting process a little bit more. <clears throat> Whereas, you know, for us, they're always going to be integral in what we're doing in the evaluation process, you know, because your high school coach can't put a good stamp on you. You know what, what's going on there. Um, uh, how how big you're at seventeen commits? I think in the twenty one class. 
how do you correct how many more spots do you think you're you guys are going to fill before the december signing day or how many would you like to fill what would you what size would you like the class yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty fluid yeah you know with uh with the ncaa giving everybody kind of a free year of eligibility this year it's, it's a little more fluid than it probably once was um so you know the roster the roster numbers are going to fluctuate a little bit so uh, we're being extremely patient. We, we've got, you know, a handful of guys on our board that we're still, you know, actively and heavily recruiting. And we'll kind of see how those things play out while we wait for the NCAA to give us a little more clarity on just those roster limits and what's going to take place over the next year, you know, to two to three years with, with those roster limits. So we, we've got some guys picked out that I'm sure you guys are all aware of in the media. You guys do a good job covering, <laughs> covering what we do. But, um, you know, our, our board is usually pretty uh, – it's pretty slim and tight most of the time, but it's, we're honed in on the guys we want to finish with and we'll kind of see. Right on. Hey, I think that's all I have for you, man. I, I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks again to Tyler for joining me. That was a really, really fun conversation. Um, first time I've ever gotten to speak to him one-on-one, so, uh, which is surprising that I've been covering recruiting for four years. But uh, Really informative. It's really interesting to hear uh, the the inner workings of recruiting. It's you know it's a never ending cycle. I mean it's just constant. Should have asked him asked him how much he sleeps. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Joe Gaffey at Rural and Rural Realtors. Keeping clients safe is top priority for Joe. Whether you're buying or selling, he has a variety of digital resources available to assist you, including virtual tours. You can reach Joe at 319-325-7727 or Joe Gaffey at ruralhomes.com. That's R-U-H-L homes.com. Well, in other news, the Cubs have locked up a playoff spot. Not that that means much if you can't hit the freaking ball. Uh, the pitching's great. I'm not concerned about the pitching at all. I mean, you know, Kyle Hendricks is typically going to be solid. You know, John Lester's really good in the postseason, even though he's, well, damn near 40. Um, but I... I don't, I don't know. I'm just excited to watch the Cubs in the playoffs again. There's a lot of sports going on right now. Almost too much for me to keep track of. Um, I'm not used to having the NBA, baseball, and football at the same time. And what? I'm not a big NBA fan typically, but I've been watching a lot of these games in the bubble, and it has been fun, man. The level of basketball and the quality of basketball that is being played right now is really good, and it's really exciting. Um, the, you know... I'm kind of rooting for the Nuggets. I mostly just want a good series, but I would like to see the Nuggets in the finals. I mean, when the little parody in the NBA for the first time in, in, you know, 10 years or whatever, it seems like it's always just the Warriors or whatever team LeBron plays for is in the finals. And you basically know going into the season who's probably going to win it, one or two teams at least. So it's cool to see some, you know, some parody, like I said. Um, it's really it's it's been a really fun thing to watch. Uh, it's a lot more fun to watch than the NFL, where it seems like there's a penalty flag on the field every three minutes or every three plays. Um, but it, it, you know, there's another thing I want to touch on, and that is you know this this fund these these funds that have been raised to try and bring back the sports that were cut by the university. They raised I think 1.7 million dollars, and uh, Vanessa Miller from the Gazette, I think, reported yesterday that uh, Gary Barta said in a Board of Regents meeting that it would take, well, the, first of all, the cuts are final, and that it would take 20 to 30 times more than $1. million to bring those sports back. I'm not really sure how that works. That doesn't make any sense to me. Obviously, I don't think 
1.7 million is enough, but I mean, it's a start, right? You have to at least consider it. I feel really bad for these people that, you know, if you're a senior, you, your sport gets cut. I understand there's extenuating circumstances here, but my goodness, I mean, it's just, my heart goes out to him, man. I, and I, I don't understand how it would take $40 million to bring all those sports back. I feel like that's kind of just a deflection, and they're kind of hoping that people are going to just write it off and be like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. But, I I mean, obviously, I don't know how that stuff works. I'm not an administrator. I don't know the ins and outs of the finances of a university, especially a large one, but it just seems like it would be slightly cheaper than $40 million, 30 or $40 million to bring back four sports that probably don't take that much to, to maintain. So, yeah, we'll see. I know, I always say we'll see. Kind of annoy myself with that. But anyway, hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed Tyler Barnes. And uh, next week we'll have uh, former Iowa basketball players Bob Hansen and Mark Gannon on. Um, I know Mark. I've never met Bob. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. You know, they're old friends. It should be – the banter should be fun. And they have some really, really great stories. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that one. And we'll see you next week.